Chapter Twenty Two of Kate Bonnet. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Meg Turasek. Kate Bonnet by Frank R. Stockton. Chapter Twenty Two Blade to Blade. When the corvette Badger sailed from Jamaica, she moved among the islands of the Caribbean Sea as if she had been a modern vessel propelled by a steam engine. That which represented a steam engine in this case was the fiery brain of Captain Christopher Vince of His Majesty's Navy. More than winds, more than currents, this brain made its power felt upon the course and progress of the vessel. Calling at every port where information might possibly be gained, hailing every sloop or ship or fishing smack which might have sighted the pirate ship Revenge, with a constant lookout for a black flag, Captain Vince kept his engine steadily at work. But it was not in pursuit of a ship that the swift keel of the badger cut through the sea, this way and that, now on a long course, now doubling back, like a hound fancying he has got the scent of a hare than raging wildly when he finds the scent is false. It was in pursuit of a woman that every sail was spread, that the lookout swept the sea, and that the hot brain of the captain worked steadily and hard. This English man-of-war was on a cruise to make Kate Bonnet the bride of its captain. The heart of this naval lover was very steady. It was fixed in its purpose. Nothing could turn it aside. Vince's plans were well digested. He knew what he wanted to do. He knew how he was going to do it. In the first place, he would capture the man Bonnet. All the details of the action were arranged to that end. Then, with Kate's father as his prisoner, he would be master of the situation. There was nothing noble about this craftily elaborated design. But, then... There was nothing noble about Captain Vince. He was a strong hater and a strong lover, and whether he hated or loved, nothing, good or bad, must stand in his way. With the life or death, the misery or the happiness of the father in his hands, he knew that he need but beckon to the daughter. She might come slowly, but she would come. She was a grand woman, but she was a woman. She might resist the warm plea of love, but she could not resist the cold commands of that cruel figure of death who stood behind the lover. Captain Bonnet was returning from his visit to the New England coast, picking up bits of profit here and there as fortune befell him, when Captain Vince first heard that the revenge had gone northward. The news was circumstantial and straightforward, and was not to be doubted. Vince raged upon his quarter-deck when he found out he had been wasting time. Northward now was pointed the bow of the badger, and the vengeful Vince felt as if his prey was already in his hands. If Bonnet had sailed up the Atlantic coast, he was bound to sail down again. It might be a long cruise— there might be impatient waitings at the mouths of coves and rivers where the pirates were accustomed to take refuge or refit, but the light of the eyes of Kate Bonnet were worth the longest pursuit or the most impatient waiting. 
so steadily sailed the corvette badger up the long atlantic coast and she passed the capes of the delaware while captain bonnet was examining the queer pulpit in the little bayside town where his ship had stopped to take in water at the various ports of the northern coast where the revenge had sailed back and forth outside the badger boldly entered and the tales she heard soon turned her back again to sail southward down the long atlantic coast but the heart of christopher vince never failed the vision of kate bonnet as he had seen her standing with glorious eyes denouncing him as he should see her when with bowed head and proffered hand she came to him as all should see her when in her clear-cut beauty she stood beside him in his ancestral home never left him off the port of charlestown north carolina the badger lay and waited and soon from an outgoing bark the news came to captain vince that several weeks before the pirate bonnet of the revenge had taken an english ship as she was entering port and had then sailed southward southward now sailed the badger and as there was but little wind captain vince swore with an unremitting diligence it was a quiet morning and the badger was nearing the straits of florida when a sail was reported almost due south up came captain vince with his glass and after a long long look and another and another during which the two vessels came slowly nearer and nearer each other the captain turned to his first officer and said quietly she flies the skull and bones she's the first of those hellish pirates that we have yet met on this most unlikely cruise if we could send her and her crew on board ten times to the bottom said the other she would not pay us what her vile fraternity has cost us but these pirate craft know well the difference between spanish galleon and british man-of-war and they will always give us a wide berth but this one will not said the captain then again he looked long and earnestly through his glass send aft the three men who know the revenge said he presently the men came aft and one by one they went aloft and soon came the report vouched for by each of them the sail ahead is the pirate revenge now all redness left the face of captain vince he was as pale as if he had been afraid that the pirate ship would capture him but every man on his vessel knew that there was no fear in the soul or the body of the captain of the badger quickly came his orders clear and sharp everything had been gone over before but everything was gone over again the corvette was to bear down upon the pirate her cannon great guns for those days and which could soon have disabled if they had not sunk the smaller vessel were muzzled and told to hold their peace the man-of-war was to bear down upon the pirate and to capture her by boarding there was to be no broadside no timber-splitting cannonballs. the wind was light and in favor of the corvette and slowly the two vessels diminished the few miles between them but there was enough wind to show the royal colors of the badger 
"'He is a bold fellow, that pirate,' said some of the naval men, "'and he will wait and fight us.' "'He will wait and fight us,' said some of the others, "'because he cannot get away. "'In this wind he is at our mercy.' Captain Vince stood and gazed over the water, sometimes with his glass and sometimes without it. Here now was the end of his fuming, his raging, his long and untiring search. All the anxious weariness of long voyaging, all the impatience of waiting, all the irritation of waiting had gone. The notorious vessel in which the father of Kate Bonnet had made himself a terror and a scourge was now almost within his reach. The beneficent vessel by which the father of Kate Bonnet should give to him his life's desire was so near to him that he could have sent a musket-ball into her had he chosen to fire. It was so near to him that he could now, with his glass, read the word revenge on her bow. His brows were knit, his jaws were set tight, his muscles hardened themselves with energy. Again the orders were passed, and when the men of the corvette boarded the pirate they were to cut down the rascals without mercy, and not one of them was to draw sword or pistol against the pirate captain. He would be attended to by their commander. Vince knew the story of Steed Bonnet. He knew that early in life he had been in the army, and that it was likely that he understood the handling of a sword. But he knew also that he himself was one of the best swordsmen in the Royal Navy. He yearned to cross blades with the man whose blood should not be shed, whose life should be preserved throughout the combat as if he were a friend and not a foe, who should surrender to him his sword and give to him his daughter. "'They're a brave lot, those bloody rascals,' said one of the men of the Badger. "'They've a fool of a captain,' said another. "'He knows not the difference between a British man-of-war and a Spanish galleon, "'and we shall teach him that.' "'Slowly they came together, the revenge and the badger. "'The bow of one pointed east and the bow of the other to the west. "'From neither vessel there came a word. "'The low waves could be heard flapping against their sides.' Suddenly there rang out from the man-of-war the order to make fast. The grapnels flew over the bulwarks of the pirate, and in a moment the two vessels were as one. Then, with a great shout, the men of the badger leaped and hurled themselves upon the deck of the revenge, and upon that deck, and from behind bulwarks, there rose, yelling and howling and roaring, the picked men of two pirate crews, quick, furious, and strong as tigers, the hate of man in their eyes and the love of blood in their hearts. Like a wave of massacre they threw themselves against the drilled masses of the badger's crew, and with yells and oaths and curses and cries the battle raged. With a sudden dash the captain of the man-of-war plunged through the ranks of the combatants and stood upon the middle of the deck. His quick eyes shot here and there. Wherever he might be, he sought the captain of the pirate ship. In an instant a huge man bounded aft and made one long step towards him. 
vast in chest and shoulder, and with mighty limbs, fiery-eyed, hairy, horribly fantastic, Blackbeard stood, with great head lowered for the charge. A sugar planter? was the swift thought of Vince. Are you the captain of this ship? he shouted. I am, cried the other, and with a curse like bursting thunder the pirate came on, and his blade crossed that of Captain Vince. Forward and amidships surged the general fight. Men plunged, swords fell, blood flowed, feet slipped upon the deck, and roars of blasphemy and pain rose above the noise of battle. But farther aft the two captains, in a space by themselves, cut, thrust, and trampled, whirling around each other, dashing from this side and that, ever with keen eyes firmly fixed, ever with strong arms whirling down and upward. Now one man felt the keen cut of steel, and now the other. The blood ran upon rich uniform or stained rough cloth and leather. It was a fight as if between a lioness and a tigress, their dead cubs nearby. As most men in the Navy knew, Captain Vince was a most dangerous swordsman. In duel or in warfare, no man had been able to stand before him. With skilled arm and eye, and with every muscle of his body trained, his sword sought a vital spot in his opponent. There was no thought now in the mind of Vince about disarming the pirate and taking him prisoner. This terrible wild beast, this hairy monster must be killed, or he himself must die. Through the whirl and clash and hot breath of battle, he had been amazed that Kate Bonnet's father should be a man like this. The pirate, his eyes now shrunken into his head, where they glowed like coals, his breath steaming like a volcano, and his tremendous muscles supple and quick as those of a cat, met his antagonist at every point, and with every lunge and thrust and cut, forced him to guard. Now Vince shut himself in his armor of trained defense. This bounding lion must be killed, but the death stroke must be cunningly delivered, and until, in his hot rage, the pirate should forget his guard, Vince must shield himself. Never had the great Blackbeard met so keen a swordsman. He howled with rage to see the English captain still vigorous, agile, warding every stroke. Blackbeard was now a wild beast of the sea. He fought to kill, for naught else, not even his own life. With a yell he threw himself upon Captain Vince, whose sword passed quickly as lightning through the brawny masses of his left shoulder. With one quick step, the pirate pressed closer to Vince, thus holding the imprisoned blade, which stuck out between his body, and with a tremendous blow of his right fist, in which he held the heavy brazen hilt of his sword, he dashed his enemy backward to the ground. The fall drew the blade from the shoulder of Blackbeard, whose great right arm went up, whose sword hissed in the air and then came down upon the prostrate Vince. Another stroke, and the English captain lay 
insensible and still. With the scream of a maddened Indian, Blackbeard sprung into the air, and when his feet touched the deck, he danced. He would have hewn his victim into pieces. He would have scattered him over the decks, but there was no time for such recreations. Forward the battle raged with tremendous fury, and into the midst of it dashed Blackbeard. From the companionway leading to the captain's cabin, there now appeared a pale young face. It was that of Dickory Charter, who had been ordered by Blackbeard, before the two vessels came together, to shut himself in the cabin and to keep out of the broil, swearing that if he made himself unfit to present to Eliza, he would toss his disfigured body into the sea. Entirely unarmed and having no place in the fight, Dickory had obeyed, but the spirit of a young man which burned within him led him to behold the greater part of the conflict between Blackbeard and the English captain. Being a young man, he had shut his eyes at the end of it, but when the pirate had left he came forth quietly. The fight raged forward, and here he was alone with the fallen figure on the deck. As Dickory stood gazing downward in awe, in all his life he had never seen a corpse. The man he had supposed dead opened his eyes for a moment and gazed with dull intelligence, and then he gasped for rum. Dickory was quickly beside him with a tumbler of spirits and water, which, raising the fallen man's head, he gave him. In a few moments the eyes of Captain Vince opened wider, and he stared at the young man in naval uniform who stood above him. "'Who are you?' he said in a low voice, but distinct. "'An English officer?' "'No,' said Dickory. "'I am no officer and no pirate. I am forced to wear these clothes.' And then, his natural and selfish instincts pushing themselves before anything else, Dickory went on. "'Oh, sir, if your men conquer these pirates, will you take me?' But as he spoke he saw that the wounded man was not listening to him. His half-closed eyes turned towards him, and he whispered, "'More spirits!' Dickory dashed into the cabin, half-filled a tumbler with rum, and gave it to Vince. Presently his eyes recovered something of their natural glow, and with contracted brow he fixed them upon the stream of blood which was running from him over the deck. Suddenly he spoke sharply. "'Young fellow,' he said, "'some paper and a pen, a pencil, anything. Quick!' Dickory looked at him in amazement for a moment, and then he ran into the cabin, soon returning with a sheet of paper and an English pencil. The eyes of Captain Vince were now very bright, and a nervous strength came into his body. He raised himself upon his elbow, he clutched at the paper, and clapping it upon the deck, began to write. Quickly his pencil moved. Already he was feeling that his rum-given strength was leaving him, but several pages he wrote, and then he signed his name. Folding the sheet, he stopped for a moment feeling that he could do no more. But, gathering together his strength in one convulsive motion, 
he addressed the letter. Take that, he feebly said, and swear that it shall be delivered. I swear, said Dickory, as on his knees he took the blood-smeared letter. He hastily slipped it into the breast of his coat, and then he was barely able to move quickly enough to help the Englishman's head from striking the deck. How now? sounded a harsh growl at his ear. Get you into your cabin, or you will be hurt. It is not time yet for the fleecing of corpses. I am choking for a glass of brandy. Get in and stay there. In another minute Blackbeard, refreshed, was running aft, the cut through his shoulder bleeding, but entirely forgotten. There was no fighting now upon the deck of the Revenge. The conflict raged, but it had been transferred to the Badger. The sailors of the man-of-war had fought valiantly and stoutly, even impetuously. But their enemies, picked men from two pirate crews, had fought like wire-muscled devils. Ablaze with fury, they had cut down the Badger's men, piling them upon their own fallen comrades. They had followed the brave fellows with oaths, cutlasses, and pistols as— little at the time and fighting all the while, they slowly clambered back into their own ship. The pirates had thrown their grapnels over the bulwarks of the man-of-war. They had followed, cut by cut, shot by shot, until they now stood upon the badger, fighting with the same fury that they had just fought upon the blood-soaked revenge. Blackbeard was not yet with them, Whatever happened, Blackbeard must be refreshed. But now he sprang into the enemy's ship, that fine British man-of-war, the Corvette Badger, which had so bravely sailed down upon his ship to capture her, and led the carnage. They were tough men, those British seamen, tough in heart, tough in arms and body. They fought above decks, and they fought below and they laid many a pirate scoundrel dead. But they had met a foe which was too strong for them, a pack of brawny, hairy desperadoes, picked from two pirate crews, the first officer now commanding, panting, bleeding, and torn, groaned as he saw that his men could fight no longer, and he surrendered the badger to the pirates. The great Blackbeard yelled with delight. When had any other captain sailing under the Jolly Roger captured a British man-of-war, a first-class corvette of the Royal Navy? His frenzied joy was so intense that he was on the point of cutting down the officer who was offering him his sword, but he withheld his hand. "'Go, somebody, and fetch me a glass of His Majesty's rum,' he cried, "'and I will drink to his perdition.' The door of a locker was smashed, the spirits were brought, and the great Blackbeard was again refreshed. Standing on the quarter-deck, where but an hour or two before Captain Christopher Vince had stood commanding his fine corvette as she sailed down upon her pirate enemy. Blackbeard had brought before him all the survivors of the Badger's crew. 
"'Well, you're a lot of damnable knaves,' said he, "'and you have cost me many a good man this day. "'But my crew will now be short-handed, "'and if any or all of you will turn pirate and ship with me, "'I will let bygones pass. "'But if any of you choose not that, "'overboard you go.' I will have no unwilling rascals in my crew. All but one of the men of the Badger, downcast, wounded, panting with thirst and loving life, agreed to become pirates and to ship on board the Revenge. The first mate would not break his oath of allegiance to the king, and he went overboard. End of chapter 22 Recording by Mag Turasek.